0: Greetings, members old and new, and welcome back to the Possibility Department, your one-stop shop for the modern-day occultist. If you find yourself entertaining the possibilities of anything and everything when it comes to the great unknown, then this is the place for you. My name is Luciana and I'll be your host as we dive into what I like to call spiritual and psychological templates for living our lives, interpreting our lives, and creating change in our lives. Take what you like, toss what you don't, and remember that what we talk about on this podcast is just as far-fetched as the concept of any high Power. All right, let's talk about some weird. Sh- hey everyone, and welcome back to the Possibility Department podcast. I am very excited. Um, we have a great interview for you today with Rachel the Veil Witch. Um, I'm super excited about the direction we're going with the podcast. I'm loving doing interviews. I have a great October set up for you. Two more interviews um, with two more self-proclaimed witches for the season of the witch. I'm doing season of the witch in October here on the public podcast. And I'm also doing it over on Patreon where I am weekly uh, releasing these not so much podcasts it's like a weird audio lecture where i'm diving into the history myself of witchcraft and so in the last episode for week one i talked about um sort of the history of witchcraft in the 16th century and some of the stereotypes that still linger today um so that was super fun we're doing season of the witch over there so hop on over to patreon if you want to join And while I'm there, I want to say thank you to my sponsor-level patrons. These are the patrons who are bringing you these podcasts. This is level 3 and level 4, both of which are closed right now. If you want to get on a wait list for either of those, please email me. But thank you so much for supporting the podcast and bringing everyone these episodes to Marie, Erica, Mariella, Tara, Luna, Ingrid, Brittany, Kelly, Susie, Jewel, Bill, and Bree. Thank you so much for supporting the department and bringing this free content to everyone. Um, Without further ado, I would like to introduce you to the Veil Witch. She is a bio-veterinary scientist by day and a witch when she gets home. Although I think she, she would argue, we, we touched on that in the interview, she's a witch all the time, so. <laughs> um, super interesting interview, she talks about her view of what witchcraft actually is from the viewpoint of someone who has a very scientific mind, and from the viewpoint of someone who's kind of cynical, those are her words, not mine, um, and she talks about how she views magic, she talks about folklore and some of the traditions of her family growing up on a farm, and And all in all, it's a super interesting, amazing interview. I'm positive that you'll love it. If you'd rather watch the video for this interview, you can find that on Patreon as well. But I hope you enjoy this awesome interview with Rachel the Veil Witch. So welcome to the Possibility Department podcast, Rachel the Veil Witch. I'm so happy to have you. Oh, it's amazing to be here. Thank you I'm for inviting been, me. Yeah, I've been <laughs> excited and thinking about having you for a while like we were talking Aww. about before this cuz I think I've been following you on Instagram I want to say for over a year and yeah. um what interested me is seeing these stories where like, you Uh-oh, know, during the day you'd be <laughs> No. No, during the day you'd be like in a lab with a white coat and everything and then like 2 hours later you'd be at your altar doing just like the witchiest. <laughs> shit yes. <laughs> and I'd be like who is this person you know ah. oh. <laughs> so and and I think you know freak? yeah well <laughs> our brains put people into boxes you know so it's kind of like when you see someone who can have those two sides it's like wow that's that's interesting because that's what our brains do right we're like oh either you're a yeah. scientific person or a spiritual person and here's yeah. someone who's who's both so <laughs> my first question to you I guess is like can you explain what the average day of a bio veterinary scientist looks like and like what what led you to that career path it's it's a weird
1: one because it's not really a career path like you can study bioveterinary science as a degree yeah but there's not much in the way of it because it's still so very new veterinary science is quite a way behind human medicine i started in human medicine i worked for the nhs for six years oh wow uh, in clinical biochemistry and I ended up going into veterinary science because I was a, a little bit headhunted when um, I took my cat in for her vaccination. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I used to work there when I was 14, cleaning out kennels after school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know people, who work in reception and they were like, oh, we've got a lab job coming up. Um, it's not a lot of money, but you sh- you- you'd be great for it. And I thought, well, money doesn't really bother me. I'm happy, happier doing something that I'm happy doing. And I wasn't, having a particularly nice time right working in a hospital at that time. So I I segued nicely into um into working with animals and realized that I don't know anything about <laughs> animal biochemistry. <laughs> I had to basically retrain myself. Really? Um, but since settling in, yeah, it's it's quite a nice job. I get there first thing in the morning. First thing I do is put the kettle on, have a cup of tea.
0: <laughs> really, <Just the> most <laughs> thing in the world. And it's like before I can do anything. That is hey, incredibly British. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I try and split my day up into doing the blood work first, and the I do a bit of microbiology, and I look at um, I do cancer diagnostics down the microscope. So I save wow. that for the afternoon because I can sort of do that at my own pace, whereas. The hospital I work at does um, all of its routine surgical procedures in the morning. Mm -hmm. So my morning is just taken up doing um, blood work for for theatres, making sure animals' uh, kidneys and liver are working fine before they pump a load of anaesthetic into them, basically. Because you don't want to give that heavy load of drugs to an animal that's not going to deal
0: with it very well. It sounds but, like a lot of yeah. pressure, kind of, <laughs> it's, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's amazing how complacent you get so quickly, where you're just sort of initially... When I it's first your everyday, gra- I guess. When I first graduated, it was nearly... Oh, nearly eight years ago <laughs> that yeah. I graduated. And um, I went straight into NHS. And when you're presented with bloods from... Like a baby that's had a heart attack, you're like, ah, yeah. what am oh, I going to do? I can't do, do anything this is terrible yeah and then sort of 18 months later you'll just put the bloods on the machine like,
0: (laughs) I guess that's what happens with everything when it's like your your everyday job so I mean do you I guess do you enjoy the side of animal medicine more than human medicine then were you not happy with the human side The, the problem the problem with the human
1: side is and it was great and the people I worked with were fantastic and it was just the situation you can't work in human medicine without working night shifts and i've got a hormone disorder which makes it very difficult for me to have altered sleeping patterns yeah so it was just really tough and i was getting quite sick uh to the point where my doctor had said i need to get a new job <laughs> oh
0: yeah yeah
1: pretty much the same day i was offered this job at the vets and i thought well i've always wanted i wanted to be a vet when i was real little right but it was too stupid because <laughs> you have to actually pass exams to be a vet and I yeah. kind of flunked school majestically and ended up having to do loads of extra qualifications before I could even get into university um oh wow so yeah there's a bit of a life lesson there that if you fail if you fail first time keep going because you can get in yes <laughs> yeah so yeah after a long long time of resets and doing different courses and anything I got in to do biomedical science and I ended up doing drug development which has nothing to do with what I actually have ended up um start, uh, doing isn't that <laughs> everyone's
0: story that they always start somewhere where like they like, never I mean when I first was about to start college I was like I'm gonna be a software engineer and then here I am on a <laughs> microphone talking about witchcraft <laughs> for a living I'm like it couldn't exactly, be further exactly <laughs> it. like it's so convoluted because I initially
1: um I'd applied to university to be a genetic scientist like to do genetics oh yeah that's cool um, then I ended up sort of the first year of biomedical science at uni um um the genetics component was so boring I was like oh my god well imagine if I had to do this for like my entire three years ever yeah <laughs> career. I would have just smashed my brains out on the table by now yeah it was so dull um so life ended up going down a weirdly different path where I ended up doing quite a lot of um, blood science and um, drug development which is how I kind of ended up in the more chemistry side of blood science I guess yeah which yeah it's funny how these things work out and now I'm sort of yeah in a little lab with a rat on my shoulder <laughs> right,
0: <yeah. laughs> Looking so at tumors, you do work like more actually- on the chemistry side of things then right like would it be an accurate assumption to say that most of your job is like I guess chemical analysis? Um, very much so. It's very
1: yeah. analytical. The more complicated cancer diagnostics always go off to an external lab because they need to be seen by somebody who knows what they're looking mm-hmm. at. I mean I can look at a cell and tell you if it's a normal cell or a cancer cell but right. it's specialists who will be able to say it's this type of cancer that needs this type of treatment. I see. So that's very basic. I can kind of look at it and go yep that's a wrong and uh, but I can't yeah. really do much more than that. Um, whereas with the blood science, I can I can be a bit more specific and yeah. offer a bit more of a diagnostic perspective.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> so would you say, like, what are some of the lessons that you might have learned, um, either spiritually or scientifically, just about Animals and their nature in this process. Yeah,
1: it was going into animal medicine. The thing that got me most was the sheer variety of life that Mm -hmm. there is. And I think that kind of slaps you in the face a bit spiritually as well when you realize that everything is so fundamentally different, not just sort of on face value, but when you get down to it, like things like greyhounds have different uh, normal values for their blood um, chemistry than like a Labrador. Oh wow! Like even within the dog species, different breeds have such variety, and you That's get so crazy these insane discrepancies and differences, and and it just sort of highlights what it did for me how massively different everything is. And I think yeah. that does kind of get to you on a spiritual level as well as on a on a just a regular level thing. as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. was a lot of that additional reading that I had to do. I'm there <laughs> like googling secondhand textbook stores like i
0: need veterinary textbooks help (laughs) yeah (laughs) i guess that would be a huge like a huge transition because i mean so i mean chemically a lot of humans would be the same whereas dogs it varies from breed to breed right so you like have to brush up oh my god how does that work do you have to know everything (laughs) i mean you get you get varieties
1: in humans as well depending on the ethnicities and different right. backgrounds and all kinds of differences that have to be taken into account but it's the same with dogs and interesting one recently um with a colleague of mine was a, a tumor biopsy we were looking at i shouldn't have been looking at this i was on maternity leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> literally just i think this was three days after i'd had my baby and she did you come into saying, the lab
0: just for that like you <laughs> No,
1: she said she sent me messages um,
0: oh, okay that,
1: <laughs> was like, what do you think of this? And it was um, tumour cells, well, what we thought was tumour cells from a dog. Yeah. And it kind of just highlights how taking, how, taking into account why every, how everyone is different is so important. Because um, there were loads of um, melanin granules mm-hmm. in the cells of this dog, which um, you could look at and say, oh, that's skin cancer, that's a melanoma, we need to get this dog into surgery. Right. But the important question to ask was, what colour was the dog? And it was a black Labrador. Oh. So of course it's got lots of melanin in its cells. And it was perfectly happy and fine. And it just had a bit of a sort of bump.
0: Oh my. So you can make like but potentially when, a huge mistake. Yeah. If you don't if take you don't, into account the differences. Yeah. Wow.
1: That but it's, it goes for, for humans as well. Obviously you've got such differences between different people. You yeah. can have. We're having this issue with my dad at the moment. because My dad's in remission from leukemia. Oh, wow. Um, but there's a sort of range of, of what's normal mm-hmm. with different blood components. And he sits right at the low end of normal because right. that's just normal for him. He's sort of there, but because he's been sick, every time he has a blood test, he has to go in for another blood test. Right. And they then call up his doctor and his doctor goes, this is normal. Uh, but it's just that kind of thing that everybody is so different. On a Everyone has like level. a different set point
0: yep. of their normal. Yeah. 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 That makes things and complicated. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you can be looking at someone and thinking, and the normal ranges they use are for 95% of the population. So there will be 5% of the population who it's perfectly normal for them to be outside of the reference range. Yeah. So medical biochemistry is just a shit show half the time because you don't, it's just so important to take everything into account when you're looking at it. And I think that kind of comes into the witchcraft side of things where you just kind of think well everything isn't going to be the same for everyone one of the things that always comes up for me when talking about things like correspondences and stuff like that actually we are all different we will all think things differently right so that's where I kind of think in indi- But well, to me I know it's probably not for everybody but individual practice should really maybe take precedence even if you are a part of an organized sort of practice do focus yeah. on yourself a little bit because we're all different even oh, down yeah. to our big chemical level. So yes. if you think something's <laughs> different for you and it ain't right, do what's right for you because
0: there's huge differences. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I just did um a solo episode that was called What is Witchcraft that basically yeah. touches on exactly that, on what it is to me, where you know There's a reason why certain things work for certain people and work for other people. You know, there's like healing techniques like EFT, and some people, you know, tapping, and some people look at that and they're like, "Oh, that's just a load of garbage," and then other people are like, "This literally changed my life." You know, so it's it just illustrates exactly that, which I think segues into our witchcraft segment. So, like, how do you view witchcraft, and how do you think it works, and do any of your views from your career kind of like Play into what witchcraft is to you, if that makes sense.
1: I'm really cynical. Like I'm massively <laughs> okay. Cynical. Yeah. I I'm just basically exactly what you would imagine a sort of scientist thinks. Like I'm there. Like that's that's not real. That do not happen. I'm also like, look at the shiny! It's so magical. Ah, it makes me feel so happy. But I know why things work like that. So, like, yes. I have this weird fascination with studying the science behind the magic. So, meditation mm-hmm. works. Uh, pathworking, um, um, pathworking journeys. So, basically, yeah. just imagine stuff really works, and you can explain why. There's some amazing studies on meditation and uh, mindfulness, pathworking that have been done by Buddhist monks yeah Uh, and they're just so cool because it shows you that actually witchcraft and this practice is is scientifically valid as well as being spiritually valid and the thing like my sort of go-to example for stuff like this is always uh white willow because white willow has um sort of connotations within magic of uh repelling demons and uh protection and stuff Mm -hmm. like that But obviously you'll find varieties around that theme but that tends to be sort of the central theme for it yeah but um way back when um people used to think that demons were what caused headaches oh yeah that's what they thought caused migraines right that there were
0: demons in your head yeah Yeah.
1: and white willow or um salis is salicylate which is aspirin Yeah, oh. So, which you take to get rid of headaches. So, people were obviously using the willow to get rid of their headaches and went, oh, it repels demons. So, you can see where the associations come from.
0: Yeah. Science is uh, magic, is what it is. Science is is so
1: magic. I'm such a nerd for this stuff. Like, I've got. I'm, I'm look, keep looking to the side of my bookshelf because I keep buying books I have no business buying because oh, they're too. too scientific, <laughs> they're too scientific for me. So I've got, oh, okay. <laughs> I've got books. I've got a book called The Constituents of Medicinal Plants, and it is just solid chemistry. And like, I open it up and I'm like, eh, why? <laughs> I have to just shut it again and go. No, I really didn't. It's too overwhelming. To <laughs> But it's things like that. And it's the fact that when I was doing my drug development um, modules in my degree, Mm -hmm. you realise so many prescription drugs are made out of plants. Yeah. just loads of them and they're still made out of plants. Okay, they're refined in the laboratory so that they're not going to hurt you. There's nothing toxic in them and you're not going to accidentally overdose. Right. But just bits of tree. (laughs) Yeah. And this is something that I'm a real
0: nerd for right and it's crazy cuz then there's also like the the connotations that people put on other people who like practice herbal medicine? You know what I mean. Mm. Like if you yeah. take herbal supplements or you're into teas or herbal medicine, other people will look at you and be like, "Oh, what a hippie!" But then they'll take a drug yeah. that's just like a refined version of the exact yeah. same thing. Oh, you're your
1: peppermint tea <laughs> for your stomach cramps. You herbal medicine weirdo. Excuse yeah. me While I take my aspirin. Exactly. <laughs> it just makes oh. no sense to me. But yeah. there's so many. But I've got a pretty pragmatic approach to it. I mean, yeah, definitely ginger as I learned to my sort of desperate need when I was pregnant amazing for for nausea yeah rosemary is very good um for sort of if you've got an upset stomach peppermint's very good for an upset stomach um things like that amazing if you've got cancer probably best to have chemotherapy
0: (laughs) yes yes and that's Um, the other side of it too is that like you have the people who are not in the spiritual community that are like oh you know herbal medicine is crap but then you have people in the spiritual community who are um proposing that you use like herbal and nature-based things for everything which is incredibly dangerous as well Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah which is why it's important for everyone to just you know use their own moral compass and and use their own
1: (laughs) (laughs) and do the research
0: I, I think if you have something that's I think that the herbal stuff and things like essential oils and things like that you know they're they're mood lifters and they can help you get grounded and maybe get some clarity while you're meditating. But, like, if you have something serious, man, go see a doctor. Yeah, you know, like... yeah. go see a doctor. <laughs> I
1: mean, you don't have to agree with what the doctor says. You can get a second opinion. There's yeah. plenty of naturopaths out there that are registered. I mean, naturopaths, as long as you get one that's professionally registered, are going mm-hmm. to know their chemistry and know what's best for you and be able to be sort of medically qualified to help you out. But going to Ski v. Jeff on the side of the road in his no, van, no, <laughs> no, yeah. maybe
0: not the best idea. No, no, no. And I mean, I, I sit in the middle of this stuff because, like, um, uh, I I grew up part of my childhood in Brazil, and my dad had like a lot of like herbal remedy things yeah. that he would kind of bust out when we got sick. He was really yeah. intense about it, though. He would <laughs> instead of making ginger tea, sometimes he would, but then other times he was lazy and he would just like he would chop off ginger and he would hand oh it God. to me and he'd be like, chew it. And I'd be like, oh <laughs> i be like, no, so he's odd. like, chew the ginger. <laughs> <And he> would- <laughs> you <had> <laughs> yes. I was a tiny kid and he was so tiny intense. Kid. Yeah. He was very <laughs> intense, but like we lived on a farm, you know, we lived far from doctors and everything. And this was just like common cold kind of, stuff yeah. and i mean it worked every single time you know like i, mean, I that's, always
1: that's, that's brilliant i mean i've always sort of when i've grown up on a farm and um my grandmother was sort of a if you sort of imagine old nan from game of thrones in winterfell doing all her cures and, <laughs> and sort of folk stories so that that's was awesome. my grandma she was a farmer's daughter she was the eldest um of like five kids so she would brought up all of these squealy brothers and sisters during the uh during the war wow in the, out in the middle of nowhere, and she she became a midwife. So she had all of these sort of this medical knowledge and all of this incredible folk knowledge and yeah. all of this sort of farmer's wife knowledge. So literally anything that was wrong with you, you'd be like, "Oh, grandma, help me!" And it would either be here is a massive load of tablets. If you take these tablets, you'll be all right. Or throw an apple peel over your left shoulder at a full moon and whistle, and then your leg will grow back. There was like no. Just, uh,
0: Between her madness. It's incredible. That's awesome. And that's the kind of stuff that's like passed down so far. Um, for October, one of my uh like intentions for October was to kind of dive into um just kind of like the folklore of my ancestry and stuff like that. And I bought the only book that I could find on Portuguese folk magic, like the only one that exists and it's self-published and it was print on demand and the people on video you can see it's called the soul for the souls of the departed and it says for the souls of the like there's a huge typo (laughs) they missed a bit bit. it was printed literally like four days ago when I ordered it but (laughs) looking at this and seeing like the generational stuff just from the Portuguese islands that that has been like taught over and over again for generations. Yeah. I was reading it and I was like, oh my God, so much in here is stuff that my grandmother told me, you know, yeah. like the evil eye. If you're working on something, don't tell people about it. You know, <laughs> just like old superstitions. You can't like, if a kid's playing on the ground, you can't step over them because it'll stop them from growing. <laughs> just like weird. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is all sort of
0: like weird thing. Where ours
1: were all sort of I'm trying to pull one out of my brain, but my brain has decided that it's not playing the game today. We used to get weird little folk tales like this about the farm animals. Because obviously, my, when you've got a farming family that's been going back generation after generation after generation, you get weird little things crop up. Yeah. In the sort of lore of your family. In the fabric, yeah. So, <laughs> like, you have to hold your breath when a lamb's being born, or <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> and it was like, we don't just be there like... It's <laughs> horrible. Or the... And I know that there's some credence to this, but don't look at a horse if the horse is pregnant. Yeah, but I know that if a horse is labouring, you can't. You need to shut it away. And but yeah, no, don't look directly at a horse that's pregnant. It's really hard when it's your horse. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> but some of it probably comes it from in like the- a little bit of truth, though, because I mean. Horses are incredibly skittish and you, you oh, have to be careful with how you look at them. You really do, you know?
1: You're trying, when you're trying to get it in from the field and your grandma won't let you look at it, you're kind of just flailing off to
0: the side. Right? <laughs> like, what have I got you? Uh, for those of you who can't see video, she's flailing right now. <laughs> so it makes sense that you ended up um, doing things with, with animals and, and having kind of like a more spiritual yes. practice. Um, yeah. But what is what is like a daily practice for you look like and are you so analytical that you're are you thinking of the science of everything as you practice I, I'm curious to know like, you... <laughs> I would like I would like to answer that with yes yeah. I'm very
1: aware of the science of everything I practice but some things have sort of just become inherent to me I've been practicing now since since I was 14 so that's well 16 yeah. years yeah uh, some like I'm not sort of going Oh, if I do this, this will affect this part of my brain, and that will make me remember things. That was my question. Because sometimes yeah.
0: I do that. Sometimes I'm like, I'll practice something, and I'm like, oh, but this color does this to my brain, and then that, yeah. and I'm like, this is that. <laughs> Got push it in the like, <laughs> so I don't feel sad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but half of the time, I'm just because it's a lot of it's so inherent to me now. I mean, I was quite closeted for a few years until I met my other half, mm-hmm. and. Because I was, I was so afraid for like years of being weird, yeah, and people yeah. thinking I was weird. So I would hide who I was, and I was like, I would dress like a normal person and go around <laughs> like trying, <laughs> trying to affect this persona of the normal, normal girl, which is really hard. Yeah, but when I, um, it took me about two weeks of dating my fiance. Mm-hmm. to realize that he was just as mental as I am.
0: <laughs> Amazing. I love that.
1: <laughs> we we've been together 11 years.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, I, that's <laughs> awesome to find someone who gives you the the confidence to cuz I I understand, yeah. <laughs> you know, I most people in my real life don't even know that like I do this. Yeah. Like I just <laughs> I don't feel like explaining it or going there, which brings me to my question for like so in like your colleagues in your field, do you refrain from talking about this side of yourself or do you share it or how does how does that work i
1: ended up converting inadvertently a few people <laughs>
0: <my previous> job.
1: <laughs> you know you want the crystals oh. <laughs> Listen to me but i think people have this preconceived idea that scientists are flat skeptics and yeah. i mean if we were flat skeptics we wouldn't be very good at our job i reckon because part of what you do in the scientific process is question everything you don't give credence to everything but mm-hmm. you don't eliminate the possibilities of things so people once you sort of once you say it to them the initial response is oh you you do witchcraft you're a witch and then you go yeah and then people will usually go i have this experience with so and you're like oh
0: wow okay so everyone has a little weirdness inside of them i guess is the moral of the story
1: (laughs) i mean it helps that i work quite near somerset which is Mm. where glastonbury is so quite a lot of the people i work with have a slight sort of have connections to people who are oh
0: okay um, back at my um, previous job, not so much. But yeah, that would that would make... I'm in Texas, but I can see how... Because, I mean, Glastonbury, there's a lot of, like, old folklore and lore there yeah. as well, right? Isn't it kind of, like, interwoven into the culture? But
1: there's so many myths around it, that it's on ley lines, and that Jesus oh, visited it. And wow. That it's the site of Avalon, and it's the burial place of King Arthur. So there's all of these huge, sort of, myths. A lot a of them lot. Inter- woven with the witchcraft community if you go to glastonbury it is like a dream i've been a couple of times um, with a couple of friends that i met on instagram actually um, yeah just to sort of experience it feel the witchiness desperately (laughs) desperately want to drag my other half and just push him in so that i can like a sort of baptism of fire basically (laughs) yes
0: get in yeah, I've seen pictures. Um I've I've seen and heard stories over the years and it's kind of been a dream to visit a place that's that magical. The closest thing we have in the US is is Salem, but Salem um, also carries like a lot of heavy connotations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it became a pop culture thing over time, like, you know, the city of witches. And then we have like I think Lori Cabot lives there, which, you know, she's like the original like pop culture witch, I guess, but yeah. It also has a lot of heavy connotations. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I think for that here, it's more sort of the other side of England. I mean, I'm on the west west side, and um, Wales and the west and the south of England tends to be a bit. It, I feel like it's more connected to its witchy roots, I guess, <laughs> than than the rest of the country. The east coast and sort of from Essex um, up through Suffolk and everywhere, that's where the uh, witch finder general did his sort of evil bullshit (laughs) trying to find a better way of phrasing it but um matthew hopkins uh worked on that side of the country but kind of bypassed the the west country mainly because i think sort of an angry band of wurzels who needed their midwives would have chased him away with sticks Uh, oh my god it's all very sort of folky i think that's part of because sort of modern pop culture witchcraft bor- and wicca and things like that borrow so heavily from celtic tradition. Yes. Quite a they lot. Do. I know yeah. that there are more there are different cultures it's woven into it and um, the especially wicca seems to have just sort of cherry picked all of its favorite bits from from all sorts of different practices and stuck them together. Yeah, um, which is great if it works for you but to me I'm just sort of like, "Eh? <laughs>
0: yeah, this but, is the first year that I've done like a like a wheel of the year series on my yeah. Patreon and I feel like a lot of what it pulls from is Celtic, and I I kind of got bored <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> like and I started much. I started reading about different stuff. Like for Litha, I was like, we're gonna look at like an Egyptian take on this. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I just I kind of got like, like a little bored with it.
1: <laughs> what's interesting to me about that as well is a lot of it seems to be Irish.
0: hmm um, Yeah. Like, but the guy uh, who founded Wicca wasn't he wasn't he of Irish descent? I feel I, like
1: be honest i i don't something know much
0: about <laughs> that that was General what i want Gardner. to believe i guess is that because it ended yeah. up mostly irish because yeah the guy who founded it maybe it, it seemed like someone had because if if it was supposed to be something that encompasses like all of the different forms of paganism it seems very irish centric no
1: yeah. <laughs> but i think a lot of a lot of it gets very sort of westernized and western centric and sort of anglo-irish yeah which is great if like me you are english <laughs> and yeah. clearly by the tone of my skin and the colour <laughs> of my head. my family have gone nowhere for the past 2,000 years. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But if you're not, and you're sort of new to the practice, you're going online and going, I'm going to have a look into witchcraft, and you start seeing all these mad Irish words, like, like I still can't pronounce it, Linasod?
0: Lufnusod. I've heard Lunasad and Lunasad and Lunasa, yeah. still not sure which yeah. one it is. <laughs> it's, Lama, it's Lama, see it's just Lama's tied to me because I'm English and that's yeah. what we call
1: it. I'm, Anglo, I'm Anglo-Welsh so a lot of it comes from Welsh to me so Mabon is a Welsh character from the Mabinogi series so Mabon is is Welsh but yeah. Samhain isn't Welsh, Samhain is Irish right. and what we all it is Kalingaia and um, it's basically, I can't even remember what it means. Like, I don't even know my own language. So. <laughs> I know it's Kalingaia and um, Kalingaia is the 1st of November and it's basically Halloween for Welsh people. Right. And, and I can't for the life of me remember what, it, what the words actually mean, which
0: is very bad.
1: But things like Lither to me is just
0: midsummer and midwinter. And right and I think that's what a lot of people are doing is that they're just looking at it from the nature perspective you yeah. know like when I went into the wheel of the year I've I've observed some parts of it like over the years just kind of like yeah. being in the community and hearing about it but this was the first year that I was like oh I'm gonna do every spoke and then do like a vloggy thing and I got I don't know maybe it maybe I'm ignorant maybe it's not even Irish centric maybe it's the fact that I saw like such a, a big lack of variety and I think that's yeah. what I was looking for I think it's, it's beautiful culturally for people who are like from oh, that d- culture and want to dive yeah. into it amazing but like it got me thinking you know what about other people who like don't look like this and don't you know and can't like connect yeah. with this that kind of sucks so I think a lot of people are looking at it from more of a nature like solstice perspective yeah. which is much more empowering but so do you incorporate yeah. the wheel of the year like in your practice, at all? I did, not in a sort of formal way.
1: I mean, yeah. it's kind of comes from being a farm from a farming background. You have to be aware of the changing of the year, so you kind of ritualize parts of it. So yeah. there was never a date for these things to me. Like our oh, Lammas Tide would be when we got the hay in for the first time. Uh, so when we did the first hay bathing of the year, that would be Lammas Tide. We'd have a big barbecue. There'd be Cider, which in this country—I uh, no, think in America—cider is non-alcoholic. What are you doing? What's um, going on? There is alcoholic and
0: non-alcoholic <laughs> cider.
1: For <here. laughs> me, I just—if you've got British listeners, they will understand that as that me from the West Country. Non-alcoholic cider is sacrilege. <laughs> going to make you blind. And look like piss, otherwise it's not proper cider. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god. So so, we, so like for the harvest seasons I guess you guys would like actually for real have parties and stuff? That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah because I come from a real little village as well so the church
1: fate would have sort of wheat sheaves and corn dollies and all sorts of things and kids would dress up and Aww. the harvest festival was always a big deal um, and sc- when I was little and at school we'd collect tins of food to give to poor people and it was a real sort of community spirit around sort of the the three harvest festivals all through to um to halloween to kalangayaf which is where just everybody would just pour into the streets and go and bother their neighbors for sweets
0: basically it's so cool to hear like that that side of it so i mean talking about all of this stuff like the you know the the nature of it and kind of the way that you practice it which feels very nature-based and psychological i would say yeah what how would you explain it to like a skeptic you know what i mean to someone who's being almost kind of rude like how how would you
1: (laughs) to be fair if people start getting rude i tend to just shut off i do too (laughs) just just get me gone when people are sort of skeptical usually they'll throw things at you like (laughs) you can't read minds let's go I don't try to. Right, you're yeah. mis- You're misunderstanding me or- We have a moral no, no, you compass, you know. <laughs> you, can't, you can't tell the future. It's like, I know, I don't <laughs> profess to. I'm not, like if I'm doing spell work, I don't see it as some sort of oogie boogie thing that's gonna happen and like a magical spark and to float into someone's ear and suddenly their nose will turn into a tomato or something. not. that's not how I see it. Yeah, yeah spell work to me is repetitive action or affirmation and especially when you're doing things like using herbs and stuff like that that's when you bring into account things like your olfactory memory which is your sense of smell which is so powerful if you've ever sort of grabbed the smell of a perfume that like your grandma used to wear or something you know damn well how powerful sense of smell is so if you're doing a spell for if you're doing a spell for positivity and you want to improve your mood and you want to uplift yourself and you use uh orange oil in the spell and you create yourself a nice little spell jar or a or a pouch or um poultice or something to carry with you yeah. if you're if you've put that much conscious effort into creating it i will be happy i will be happy i will be happy then your olfactory bulb is going to be going ha 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 yeah um, <laughs> <in your way. laughs> yeah um, it's embedding in you that when you smell that smell you're happy so keeping that charm with you right. makes you feel happy so I tend to do then dip, in, dip into the science if people get skeptical about it and I'll start yeah. talking about um neurology and stuff like that and then I go too far and then usually people sort of glaze over and, walk and we'll just off. glaze
0: and they're gone and I
1: yeah. go back <laughs> to my daily uh, ablutions
0: without being bothered so it's it's like a channel for for an intention, a channel for energy then. And sometimes I describe it as like containers that we can put things in, you know what I mean? Like, because I like to work with the elements and then other people like to work with like the chakra system and it it creates a container for you to be like, oh, I need to work on, you know, the the things that have to do with my root chakra. So like safety yeah. and security and whether or not the root chakra exists, who cares? Like you're, you're working on that thing yeah. that you need to work on,
1: you know? And well. What- What gets me as well is people don't have to believe the same things you believe. And a lot of people will be like, you shouldn't change the way you think. It's like, "Mm, don't really have to, though, do I? Right. It's that kind of. Like, just because I personally am quite uh, cynical and sceptical about things doesn't mean that other people's beliefs aren't valid.
0: Mm hmm yeah
1: and if somebody else has had a completely different experience to me that doesn't make it less valid it's perspective because I'm looking at it from my boring perspective when sort of nothing psychic has ever happened to me in my life (laughs) then because I'm because I'm a scientist I look at it from a scientific perspective in that well I have so far not received any proof towards that yeah but if in the future I'm sat on the bus or something, and suddenly I can hear old lady Doris thinking about the tremendous sex she had last night, or something, <laughs> then I will I will drop everything and change and my mind. I'm more than happy to change my mind about anything. Um, but I find that a lot a lot of sceptical people, usually outside of the scientific community, aren't as willing to change their mind scientists you get going come on then give some evidence and you go right I'm going to give you some bloody evidence and then that's so
0: interesting I I honestly thought that you were going to get on here and be like oh I don't my co-workers are terrible I don't tell them you know I thought I (laughs) I
1: have I mean I have co-workers that are quite herbal I've got one co-worker who has stained everything in our communal kitchen orange with her turmeric obsession (laughs) (laughs) so funny because she's deter- she's convinced that turmeric will cure. Um, this she's a she's a veterinary surgeon and uh-huh. she's very good at her job. But she's a bit brilliant. She's got <laughs> one of those brains that just works on a whole other level of intelligence where you can't sort of meet her. Yeah, right. yeah. still don't let about? her go. <laughs> <laughs> um, she sort of comes in with a bright orange latte and a bright orange cup and a bright orange kettle and all over the work surface and everything. My work mug is just covered in it.
0: Oh my God, that's so funny. But again,
1: there's there's things that we've you, we've used at work. Um, I know from taking my own animals in that my workplace uses charcoal as um, a poultice against infection and uses oh, wow. manuka honey against infection because it works. Yeah. And it's you can't sort of reject something that works just because it doesn't align with your current modern
0: sensibilities
1: (laughs) that's
0: exactly it yeah oh that's awesome
1: yeah it seems like penicillin everybody says everybody will happily say oh alexander fleming uh, discovered penicillin but if you look back through history there are um incidences of arabic uh, knights and horseback riders who would scrape the penicillin mold off of the leather saddles and apply it to their wounds because they knew it would stop the infection so these wow. things are known about yeah it often takes an old white guy in a lab coat to write it down before people believe it <laughs> which is quite infuriating
0: that's so sad oh my god mm.
1: yeah <laughs> oof <sighs> Yeah, sorry, that was
0: a bit heavy. <laughs> <laughs> that was heavy, but it's so true, though. You know, like, it, old, wise women from every culture can do whatever they've done and no one will ever know until it's, someone it's like, white and old says it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's
1: fascinating. It's been fascinating recently. I've seen, like, a whole new perspective on it with pregnancy, labor, and childbirth. Because right up until sort of 30, 40 years ago, you had to give birth lying on your back because that's where the male obstetrician could get the best access but Mm -hmm. lying on your back the way it tilts your pelvis pulls your coccyx up which makes it more difficult for baby's head to get out so all of these midwives who for hundreds of years have been saying you should give birth sort of leaning forwards or on all fours yeah were right because it's just mechanically safer and you get less deaths in childbirth because you have I ended up I had an absolutely horrendous experience I ended up giving birth on my back because I needed surgical intervention but it which frustrated me because I was so ready to sort of do what the to old to prove was. it like, yeah come <laughs> on and then when the surgeons came in and were like get on your back we're gonna we're gonna take a scalpel to you I was like no <sighs> how dare you but oh, it no- ended
0: up that way because it was better for the male surgeon then that's <laughs> So infuriating, my god! Which
1: is entirely my baby's fault and his massive idiot head.
0: But... <laughs> he's going to be listening Sorry. to this in eighteen years. <laughs> I
1: don't know why. Was my head really that big? Was my... <laughs> well, he had, well, he's. I got him. I I got him nearly all the way out, but they ended up having to come in and cut him out because he's just got too big a head they had to put a big sucker on the back of his yeah. head and pull him out basically <laughs> oh it was a nice time
0: <laughs> oh I had no idea about about that and like the the history of it that it's actually safer from an angle perspective and then yeah. everyone just ended up laying in a hospital bed because that's what's more yeah. convenient but what's but- cool is that we're in the age of the of information and the internet and we're figuring these things out now so you know
1: and it's also much more midwife led these days like the obstetricians and the colleges don't get involved i saw my obstetrician um like twice before i gave birth because i have health complications she just sort of checked me over and went eh you're fine and then i didn't see anyone again until i was 24 hours into labor and needed the intervention and then i didn't see anyone again after that it's all very midwife led and that brings with it um, aromatherapy. There's quite a lot of push to use things like clary sage and frankincense. Wow. Um, I had frankincense on me um, when I gave birth to Dylan because it has such a calming effect. And what's what I find fascinating is that there is proof, scientific proof, that aromatherapy works, Yeah. but they can't tell you how because <laughs> they haven't found out the mechanism. They can say, we've done a study... And we've shown that people who have who use
0: frankincense during childbirth are more calm than people who don't, mm-hmm. but they can't tell you why. And well, I, I wonder if it's an intivi- cool. like an individual thing as well, because wouldn't different scents oh, have different? Yeah. It goes back to what you were saying in the beginning that we're all like, like so if, different. If every
1: time, if every time you were a child, like a priest slapped your head with, with a sensor full of frankincense, <laughs> maybe
0: like yeah. it would be less like get this off me yeah (laughs) Yeah. no this just reminds me of the time so I mean with that like how how has your practice changed uh post baby are you are you still finding little moments to practice or is that just completely (laughs)
1: it has just disappeared Um, I mean I'm only six weeks into motherhood so Mm -hmm. it's all very strange (laughs) my life is just completely turned upside down and half of my stuff is just sort of sat in boxes. I had to change my house completely because I had oils and spiky things and crystals and poisons and all sorts of crap like oh god away. yeah you don't
0: think- of, I, I don't think about that. I had a friend come over with a baby and I had like crystal points everywhere oh on like on low coffee tables and like yeah. tables and stuff. I'm like oh my god let me get all of this. <laughs>
1: We got Dylan home from the hospital and I just sort of sat with him like don't touch anything <laughs> in this house <laughs> but so you true. can't oh, with a baby you can't use smoke you can't yeah you can't have candles um so it really limits what you can do but I was quite limited anyway because I've got a cat that licks everything
0: oh so, so what's your what's your daily like um I don't know, touchstone then just like sitting at the altar or a little bit of meditation or what's your go-to like in in practice when you need it? Usually
1: this is gonna sound so basic, but when the kettle's boiling, I go off into my brain. Aww. While I'm waiting for a, while I'm waiting to make a cup of tea, I yeah. tend to just sort of like glaze over. Yeah. Drift off into um, I do a lot of pathworking so I have sort of a psychological other world that I go to Yeah. so I'll just sort of go uh, and I'm in a nice meadow by a castle and then the kettle will start making noise and I kind of have
0: to go oh my god <laughs> <laughs> what exactly is pathworking? Is that like chaos magic? like astral magic?
1: Um, inner a pathworking is um, it's a druidic practice oh. and I borrow quite heavily from druidic practices because it's uh i hate using the word celtic because celtic is such a broad um i mean the celts is, yeah. range from eastern turkey right the way through to western ireland so that's right. a massive sort of diversity in cultures um but yeah it's a more sort of it's a more modern um neo pagan druidic practice and it's uh basically a meditative aid where you just sort of disappear into your inner thoughts really and you let them you let your thought processes just go go off on their own accord yeah. some people do it as a very deeply spiritual and um, supernatural thing that mm-hmm. it allows spirits of the dead to come to them so that they can talk to their ancestors um, wow. i see it more of opening up a dialogue with, with myself yeah Whereas if some if I sort of end up talking to someone or something when I've drifted off into my meadow, it it's part of my own brain bringing to me stuff that I otherwise wouldn't remember.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which,
1: in sort of my view of things, is my personal equivalent of ancestor work because a lot of the stuff that I that comes to me is stuff that I've been taught by my grandparents or my parents or, yeah. Um, has been passed down to me from other people and these little things will come back to me. So that's kind of, but I've always sort of viewed my own ancestor work as being memories and memory-based.
0: That sounds like something I heard of called soul retrieval or something like that, where you're kind of like, you're just retrieving, um, things that maybe you repressed or you forgot about, so it kind yeah. of sounds- I'm gonna have to look into that, that sounds really cool, <laughs> that sounds right up my alley. Um, I'm all about like no tools, just the mind, yeah. talking to myself, you know, <laughs> being weird. Once,
1: once you've practiced at it a few times, it's far too easy to just sort of go, uh, gone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've done it while I've been feeding feeding Dylan and I've had sort of a bottle in his mouth and I've just sort of drifted off and I've looked down and I'm like jamming it up his nose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sorry man. <laughs> sorry, buddy. <laughs> and he's just there going, eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not cut out for having a baby. I'm just this <laughs> poor <a small laughs> little guy.
0: He's um, just trying to live his life and his yeah. mum's trying to milk
1: his Show nose. Shove a bottle <laughs> up his nose.
0: Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I was in a meadow. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: you'll understand when you're older
0: yeah okay so um you know with the kind of magic you do and everything and you know the the psychological and nature and everything I know you do a lot of recipes as well which I see um, on your Instagram which looks really great I know you have a Patreon um I would love if you could tell my listeners about your Patreon and what do you do there (laughs) um what do I do there
1: (laughs) If if you've if you've been following me on Instagram and you are aware of what my stories are like, imagine that but longer. <laughs> more even more ridiculous than the crap that comes out of my mouth on uh, on Instagram. <laughs> sort of a more in-depth version. Um but I write out my recipes there. Um I like to share a bit of my own cultural heritage, which I know sounds ridiculous because like we've said, everything is so celtic but not a lot of it goes into welsh celtic it's not a
0: lot of it is super detailed though and if you're someone who actually is of that heritage then it's different than just looking at wicca and getting like an overview whereas like you have more detail of you know your folklore and growing up on a farm and old superstitions so and things like like our sort of mythological figures some of them have kind
1: of made their way into into wicca and into um sort of modern neo-paganism like uh Rhiannon and uh yeah. have become more well-known names but the stories behind that and their connotations and um some that people won't necessarily have heard of like yeah. uh, and, Rod and uh clay cloud gathis and things like that
0: there's um <laughs> those names, I wouldn't even oh. begin to try and pronounce them <laughs> you
1: should see them written down the Welsh language has no time for vowels so it's a nightmare <laughs> trying to decipher it and when you're how can we make this trying, the most
0: complicated?
1: i <laughs> have not been taught the language because my, um, my paternal grandmother had Alzheimer's when I was young so she didn't really sort of have the, the wherewithal to teach me the language and my dad never learned because he couldn't be bothered <laughs> Um because everything's written in English anyway so a lot of people especially in South Wales just don't bother yeah yeah bother learning Welsh so it's just something that, that
0: i've just not picked up right so then you Until go into that on your on your patreon then you go into some of like the the mythos yeah, I've around started,
1: it I've, I've started retelling in my own idiot way the um, sort of stories of the sort of main body of Welsh folklore which is the Mabinogian, which is a story comprised of sort of four branches and it takes you through, kind of in the same way, I th- probably the best way I could describe it is the way the Greek pantheon has stories about their gods. There are stories in lots of different cultures about their deities. Yeah. I don't know if people choose to consider them as deities or people choose to consider them as just stories. It's up entirely up to the individual, um, but I go a bit more into, into them and into the stories and I try and make it a bit my own and be a bit dramatic about it because I'm a massive drama queen so if I'm writing a story I'm going to make it ridiculous <laughs> um, um so I do stuff like that I do rituals uh sample rituals I got I I started doing before I took a maternity leave so I haven't posted anything for a while but I've got a big stack of posts ready to go live again from the 15th of October Wow. um starting with a, a recipe that I made up at the weekend, when I had a bit of a mental breakdown. Uh, Dylan Is it the crying. tea loaf? It's the tea it loaf! It looks yeah. so good, guys! <laughs> I went into the kitchen, I was like, I've got half a pumpkin <laughs> and some flour, cake! Yes. And <laughs> so, that would be the tea loaf, and it was really nice. I undercooked mine slightly, I just, don't, just imagine that I didn't. But <laughs>
0: So where can um, we find you on on Patreon then? Is it The Veil Witch?
1: It, yeah, patreon.com forward slash The Veil Witch. And I started an A to Z before I went on maternity leave of um, herbal medicine as well. So Ooh. started with, started with A for um, anise and we'll be going on to B for basil, C for um, cinnamon and going through each herb and how its medicinal properties and chemical properties correspond to its magical properties. <gasps> oh! That but those like, posts you have are, a book <laughs> yeah those posts are a bitch to write because they take so much research and yeah. i end up going too deep and i feel if, i mean if you have uh, invested interest in chemistry or plants then by all means get stuck in yeah but i would i'd like i i tend to worry that it goes over people's heads which i think is why i haven't written it for a while because I don't want to get too into my own bullshit
0: basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the problem of like being a creator is that you can go down a rabbit hole and you're like wait, do people even care yeah. about this thing that I'm so invested in? You know what I mean? Oh, like sometimes sometimes when I plan out like a podcast to a T and then like, you know, on the other side when I do a podcast and I just like hop on here and say whatever, the one where <laughs> I hop on and say whatever is like infinitely more successful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, well, I you think. know,
1: <laughs> when, you, when you know when you're sort of talking from a perspective where you're enthusiastic about what you're talking about, I think yeah. whatever you're talking about is going to be interesting. I could, if somebody's enthusiastic, I could listen to somebody talk about the inner workings of like the London sewage system <laughs> in the 70s or something. But if somebody's passionate about it, I'm yeah. like, yes, you go. You're enthusiastic about something, then it shows and it makes you interesting because you have that sort of spark in you. It's what um, you'd call in in sort of Welsh and druidry. It's like the Owen, the inspiration, and right. it gets you. And you just go, Whoo, It's um, this is me going back into my folklore again. It's what is um in the mythology is what Caradon's cauldron is full of. Is the inspiration, and it's where poets get their stories and bards. Oh, wow so when you're grabbed by that spark of something you're just
0: interesting and uh,
1: I hope that I'm interesting
0: <laughs> no this Not is super this cool I'm I'm sure that like the stories probably go into super detail. so everyone that's listening or watching the video on patreon um if you sign up to my patreon you will be able to get to see the video um I'm going to link everything below so you guys can find her on Instagram, follow her stories, all of her recipes look delicious, and hit her up on Patreon as well because I'm sure the posts are incredible. Thank you so much for being here, <laughs> Rachel. If, if if people aren't willing to
1: um, sign up, to, there is a lot of free stuff on my Patreon as well. When, um, oh, the UK, cool. when the UK initially went into COVID lockdown, I made loads of my content free to access um, wow. so that people had something to do. <laughs> I just felt bad that everyone was going to be stuck in. So so I've got on my Instagram page is our highlight which lists all my free articles and you can go through that and just have a click through. And it goes from uh, rituals to a post about um, little exercises on how to reduce appropriation in your work and little yeah. exercises on how to be less anxious and all sorts of little things. Um, none of it particularly connects <laughs> or makes a great well, deal it's free, so, <laughs> so
0: you did it for free. free. <laughs> <laughs> um, but That's unfortunately, awesome.
1: Unfortunately, because you know I'm not working at the moment, I have actually started to having to charge people again, and I feel a bit bad. But <laughs> no, it
0: is you, what it is. You, We need <laughs> money. We I charge for Patreon. <laughs> yes. We we got to whoever's listening. We got to eat. You know, so like. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's my baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you support her Patreon, you are contributing to her diaper fund. And when you support yes. my Patreon, you're contributing to food being on my table. So, yeah. Diapers <laughs> so, and caffeine. It's
1: the Veil yeah. Witch diapers and caffeine benevolent Diapers and caffeine fund. <laughs>
0: So um, if you're a patron of mine, make sure to go follow her at least if you don't um, if you don't actually support her because apparently there's tons of free stuff which is super cool. I definitely don't do that on my Patreon so like, hats off to you for that. Um, But also if you do sign up, even even from like the lowest
1: tier which I think is a dollar a month, uh, you get access to our Discord community which is just the nicest group of people I could oh. ever imagine gathering. Yeah. Um, ridiculous lovely kind. It's just the most casual chat ever. You couldn't I have had no filter in there recently because a lot of a lot are of my mean... patrons are really lovely, kind mums. So I'm just going in there going, bits of me hurt. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Help. And these amazing people have had this advice. And it's it's really lovely because it's a diverse group of people who are just starting out in magical community people who have been doing this a long time mm-hmm. people from all over the world and it's it's it gives you that sort of group yeah. feeling without having to subscribe to a group practice
0: yes which yeah. is really
1: nice so you can stay in, stay on your own course and keep an individual side of things while also sharing your ideas and opinions with people which is really lovely
0: yeah that's my favorite thing about patreon i think is the is the discord sometimes i hop in there and they're just like going off on these wild conversations (laughs) without me i'm like y'all go you know like this is awesome (laughs) it's all gone a bit weird recently
1: where we've turned into kind of like a weird cartoon goblin cult
0: Well, you can create different awesome. channels on there as well. Yeah. Like we have a channel just for um, like COVID support. So like anyone so who's feeling looking, yeah, so like anyone who's feeling a lot. sad or anything can go in there and be like, hey guys, please help. You know, so. I
1: am so much more organized than mine. Mine is like here is a channel where you can post pictures of your cat. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome though. <laughs> here is a channel where you can post pictures of your rocks. Yeah. yeah. But you can add and take stuff away. So I've had my um, patrons say, hey, can we have a channel where we can talk about our arts and crafts? And I've gone, yeah, 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 it's fine. And it's having that um, back and forth with the creator as well, I think it's amazing because yeah. I can go in there and go, guys, I don't know what I'm doing, help. Yeah, <laughs> And they'll say, oh, can we have a post on this? Or oh, it'd be nice to have a post on this. And it gives me a bit more direction than just sort of going, yeah. sort of free in it and not knowing what I'm doing. Definitely. <laughs> Well, and cool. yeah, if you do subscribe to my Patreon and hop in the Discord, you can re- basically request your content.
0: <laughs> so what are what are the price tiers then of your of your Patreon?
1: The first one is just a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. And that's access to the Discord and my ranty ridiculous. I like to say that they're funny uh, posts. Yeah. I do, <laughs> but I never know if I'm coming across as funny or just a woman having a mental breakdown. It's a fine line. line <laughs> <laughs> I skate it beautifully. Um, The second tier is uh, $4 a month, and that's uh, access to every recipe, all of the folklore, all of the rituals that I do, and uh, access to the Discord as well. The next one up is $10 a month, and that gets you a monthly tarot reading sent to your Patreon inbox, as well as all of the previous and the last one is $30 a month where I send you stuff. Indeterminate stuff. Because wow. I n- <laughs> no, I try and make it sort of seasonally relevant. Yeah. Um. Initially, I was writing handwritten grimoire pages. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was taking an awful long time and I kept running out of ideas. So yeah. but it's now instead of getting a piece of paper, you're getting candles or crystals or stuff. And it's usually locally sourced. Oh, that's pretty um, cool. Just little, just sort of little gifts. Um, I'd like to make it cheaper, but um, a lot of my patro- patrons are international.
0: Yeah, yeah, but international it, shipping, shipping is... Me. Yeah, it's, it, I used to have an Etsy and it's it's the yeah. worst international yeah, shipping.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> but um, I try and make a tea every month to send to my patrons as well, to my $30 yeah. tier patrons, because I really like making herbal tea blends and I'll write what's in it and what what it does and... Um I like that and I try I've limited it to just ten yeah. on that tier because otherwise it would take especially now with a with baby in tow, it would take me a long time to source everything. And um I handwrite a lot of stuff because I don't have a printer, so I'm kind right. of like it, a part of me thinks, Oh, isn't it a nice touch that I'm handwriting all of these things? And another part of me is like, Well,
0: what you're gonna print it on the sky? Like Right, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nothing nothing else. Well, okay, so I'm gonna link everything below. Go follow the Veil Witch on Patreon and maybe get that monthly tarot reading. That sounds like an awesome deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Rachel, and taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're a new mom, so thank you so much. (laughs) No, it's fine, it's been really nice. Well, there you have it. That was our interview with The Veil Witch. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember that you can access the videos to these interviews over on Patreon along with everything else that I offer, so don't forget to go check out that link in the description and stay mysterious.